0: Welcome to the J.T. The Brick Show.
1: You know, when you put the silver and black uniform on, you get such a surge of energy. It's time for the J.T. The Brick Show. And a lot of football players around the country that want to wear that silver and black.
2: J.T. The Brick. When you talk about the Raiders, everyone knows you talk about the Raiders.
1: On Raider Nation Radio 920 AM, here's your host, J.T. The
0: Brick. Out of the gate, JT, with you. Thanks for joining us today, Thursday, here on Raider Nation Radio, nine twenty a.m. and live on that Raiders app. Remember, if you have the Raiders mobile app, which everybody I know has it, it's fantastic. I use it in presentations when we meet with new partners. I show them how quickly you can download the show on the Raiders mobile app. Just click on the radio, and you should have the Raiders mobile app. I mean, come on, we live in Vegas; we have a pro football team. Download the Raiders official mobile app. It's got everything on it, but it's got the radio show, which now makes us national and global. We've taken calls from London, Florida, throughout the East Coast, everybody in Oakland, people in the Bay Area that are listening. It's great. It's fantastic. You know, Memorial Day is my 25th anniversary in all of radio. I started off in radio when they had fax machines, no texting. You couldn't text a listener, couldn't do anything. Think of what's happened in 25 years in sports radio. And finally, finally, we have a sports radio app at the Raiders that works. Why does it work? Because the Raiders have one of the best social media and websites in all of the NFL. I think it's top three or five last I heard. So they know what they're doing. So you can listen to this radio show on the Raiders app. You don't have to worry about, oh, I drove to Green Valley or if I grew I went into deep Summerlin and I was at Red Rock and I couldn't hear the show. No, 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 you can hear the show beautifully. Just go to the Raiders mobile app and click on the big radio that they have in the corner and you hear the show. And I love it for that because... It it lets me know more people are listening than just Vegas. I can't survive doing a show in just Vegas where people talk about UNLV at an alarming rate too long. I can't take it when I tune into other shows and other shows are talking about things other than the Raiders and the Golden Knights. I almost want to drive off the road. My goal is to not waste your time. If you're listening for 10 minutes, 20 minutes, two hours, I want it to be the best two hours that you get. I want it to be full of content, and interactive. And I don't want to waste your time. Not that I won't talk UNLV football. I just won't talk about it for one, an hour and 20 minutes. I'm not going to talk about the UNLV transfer portal for basketball players who are never going to be here and are never coming here. You're not going to get 20 minutes of that on this show. Because to me, it's, it's dead air. It's air. They always say you're on the air. What does that mean? Well, that, that, that content goes into the air, and you never get those 20 minutes back in your life. So I want to talk about the Raiders and the Golden Knights. I have a dream that someday we'll have an NBA team here. So I can do a show with the new Vegas NBA team. The Raiders are my number one priority in the Golden Knights. It'll be a dream like when I was a young boy in New York. And WFAN had the Mets, the Yankees, the Rangers, the Islanders. Right? There are all these teams, the Knicks and the Nets. And I grew up with professional sports not the UNLV transfer portal, which I could give a crap about. It means nothing to me if some kid from New Mexico might go in the portal and never sign with UNLV. Let me know when they sign here, and then I'll cover the story with Kevin Kruger, and we'll put him on. But until then, we are led by the Raider Nation, a global army of sports fans who have been disrespected throughout the decades and have never had a radio partner like this before, never. They had disrespected radio partners and radio partners that mocked them and said, no, talk Niners and Giants and, hey, if the Raiders are this and that, no, we finally have something, something that we can build. And it's not going to be perfect. And guys are going to come and go. I'm not going to be here forever. Guys are going to come after me. And hopefully the Raiders have their own flagship radio station on this little phone that I'm holding up in my home in Summerlin. Little phone. Well, you can hear the station on top of 920 AM, and it's not clunky, and it's easy, and you can hear the show. So I'll get off my soapbox. I'm very excited about that. I was on a presentation this morning with one of our great sales associates, and we spent 20 minutes out of the 30 minutes having coffee, amazingly showing how great this Raiders mobile radio app is. So that's what I did this morning. I'm really pumped up about it. Start dialing. It's going to be a good show. The Pete Rose show we did yesterday. There was a glitch with the audio in the first hour. We're going to replay some of it in the second hour of the show. I was contacted by MLB Network today. Uh, They are running bits of it on their television show today. We made big news yesterday with Pete Rose. A big download for us as the Hit King came on his 80th birthday. And it was a big deal. I had grown men crying last night because of Pete. Calling in, crying about Pete Rose. Nothing to do with me. It was all Pete. Uh, That interview had a big impact on us and a lot of our listeners. So we'll hear part of that again next hour because we play good content. It's the best content I have today is that Pete Rose interview, and we'll play some of it. I have a ton of Raider content with the draft coming as we're getting ready to give you our in-depth team coverage the Thursday night of the draft, which I'll be anchoring again from the team headquarters, and then on Friday doing the same thing again. So remember, Thursday is just round one. Raiders pick 17th overall in the first round. So we'll have the first round covered and then round two on Friday with all the Raider legends, Lincoln Kennedy, Eric Allen. I'm sure we're going to have Mike Mayock or John Gruden on. So that's coming. That's really what we're building for. And I'm proud of the job we've done the last couple of weeks with all of these draft insiders that Bobby has been loading up here. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to get you prepared for the Raiders' 17th pick the best way we can. And I think this could be the easiest that it's ever been because of all the quarterbacks going first. That means every quarterback selected before the Raiders at 17, every Raider fan should stand up and give a howl and a standing ovation because that's one player closer to the Raiders at 17 that the Raiders don't need. And I I think that's fantastic because it's going to give the Raiders an opportunity to get a great pick, a starter, at number 17, which I think in the last couple of years, other than Josh Jacobs, they've drafted in the first round, and they're not getting starters out of it. Am I missing anything? Cleveland Farrell doesn't play a lot. I mean, he's been playing a little bit, but he doesn't play at the level of a fourth pick overall. Jonathan Abram got hurt in his first year. He was a first-round pick. He didn't play much. Josh Jacobs is a beast. Damon Arnett didn't play much with concussions and everything that happened last year. I need a guy in here who's going to play. We need a guy at 17 who's going to play. He's going to come in with limited OTAs because players don't want to practice anymore. Sorry, it's a dirty little secret. Why? Their agent calls him. The union calls him says, hey, I got good news for you. You're making more money than ever, and you don't have to practice. You don't have to go. Now, the Raiders are one of the few teams that really wants these voluntary workouts because John Gruden loves voluntary workouts. That's what Gruden cares about. Gruden wants to put the players in front of him on the practice field. Last year, he had to break up different position groups and put them on the practice field with big curtains and nets to make sure they didn't pass COVID from one group to another. And and, and you're busting Gruden's balls? About going eight and eight, I mean, think about what he had to do. He had COVID early. The whole team, a lot of the team, had COVID. Fined left and right. Darren Waller's event where no one got sick, but the fine there. Do you remember what happened last year? It was chaos, and the team was in the playoff hunt the entire year. They were two and zero out of the gate. They beat New Orleans. They beat Kansas City on the road. They're in the playoff hunt right down to the wire. They had first and goal with Marcus Mariota on the four against the Chargers, and they had Miami dead to rights, and Miami threw a miracle Hail Mary where Ryan Fitzpatrick's helmet got ripped off, and they won the game that way. I mean, it wasn't a bad team. It was a 10-win team with some dramatic uh, aspects that made them 8-8. But remember the road that they had to go down, and every team had to go down that road. Every team, Belichick, Andy Reid. Every team had to go down COVID protocol. But the Raiders also moved an entire organization, an entire staff, the entire football operations from Alameda to Vegas on top of it. So is that an excuse? No, I'm just explaining to you how the team should have went 10-6 and and went 8-8. And And you don't think the Raiders would have won a couple of those home games with 65,000? You don't think if 65,000 and 58,000 of them were Raider fans on their feet in the third, fourth quarter screaming at those other quarterbacks like Tua? And Justin Herbert, that the Raiders would have won? I believe they would have won. But now this year, the Raiders aren't getting a lot of respect. The season win total, schedule hasn't come out, and even the Raider fans are questioning how good this team's going to be this year. So what we got to do is find a way with our opinionated radio show to figure out what the Raiders are going to do with their first pick at number 17 overall. And I think it's a very important moment in Raider history. All these draft picks are really important to get it right. But this year, it just feels like there's more pressure on them to get it right because it's Gruden's fourth year and Carr in the system with Gruden and all of this, and there's a lot of pressure for the team to make the playoffs because they're going to be playing in front of fans, hopefully sold-out fans. I was excited to see 32 minutes ago the Raiders posted on their social media, 21 years ago today, we drafted our franchise's all-time leading scorer. Sebastian Janikowski. And man did that bring back memories. Twenty-one years ago today, I was in the Raider facility in Alameda and I was anchoring the draft and I was sitting outside. They didn't have us in the lobby. They had us in an area right off the general meeting room in Alameda. And not too far from the coaches where the war room was. And I remember George Atkinson, a guy by the name of Artie Gigantino, and I, and David Hum. The former quarterback, he was uh, on a a remote line. And the Raiders picked in that first round, and they brought out the card to me, and it was Sebastian Janikowski. Now, fortunately, I knew how to pronounce the name because I watched college football. I had no idea that Al Davis was going to select a kicker in the first round. No one did. No one around the league. You want to talk about something that was airtight? And quiet. The Raiders knew what they were doing, but the rest of the league, the Mel Kuypers of the world, I don't even know if Mel Kuyper, I don't even think he was doing it back then. And they took Janikowski and they gave me the card. And I remember looking at the card saying, I got this Sebastian Janikowski. He kicks for Florida State. They're in the Sugar Bowl or whatever big game they were in. I remember who he is. And, you know, Bobby Bowden and all that. And then we got Janikowski on the phone. Because he wasn't even out there. I don't know if he was playing basketball or kicking. Someone at the Raiders knows the back story. That Janikowski was out and then they found him. And then he was on the phone with us and lightning struck in the background. It was 21 years ago today. And I thought about that. and I said, man, time flies. That was a good pick. I mean, he would, he would have been gone. Why did the Raiders take him in the first round? Because he would have been gone. He wouldn't have been there for the third round. And Al Davis knew, knew that they needed a scorer. Right, He was a scorer. He wasn't a quarterback, but he was a guy who was going to put up the most points in the history of the franchise, and that was a very solid pick. And Janikowski, you know, kicking a Super Bowl when you look at the Raiders' run and what they did as the early Gruden years and into Callahan and AFC championship games and all of that. So I was just thinking about that today. It brought back a wave of memories as we get ready for the draft here in less than two weeks, two weeks from today, and what that's going to mean for the team. Uh, One of the things I talked about and what I want to get into, if you want to get into this pick again, uh, the pick to me is important because you have a good opinion on this. You have a really strong opinion on this, Raider Nation. 702-365-9200. Two weeks from today, the Raiders are going to make the pick. And I'm going to ask you every day for the next two weeks what the pick should be. And all the insiders that I'm talking to after we have them on the air, if I'm doing it as a national interview or a local interview on this show, I'm asking him, who do you think the Raiders are going to take? And over 60% of the double-digit insiders that I've talked to that got back to me have said offensive tackle. And that concerns me because I don't know which offensive tackle is going to be available, and I know Penny Sewell's not going to be available, and I don't think Rashawn Slater of Northwestern's going to be available. So that would lead Elijah Vera Tucker out of USC Christian Darasaw out of Virginia Tech or Tevin Jenkins out of Oklahoma State who as we talked about seems like he's the nastiest and the best player potentially to build around at right tackle so as you know if you've been listening the last couple of weeks I'm all in on the defense I think that Micah Parsons the linebacker from Penn State more and more mock drafts have him dropping to 17 where the Raiders can get him I don't think he'll be there I think he'll be gone between 11 and 15 And the Raiders won't be able to get him. And I've gone out of my way to say that I think the Raiders should trade up from 17 to go get Micah Parsons. Just my opinion on that issue. So I'm seeing more and more of that in the mock drafts. That's encouraging to me. But then the Colt Miller re-signing happened. And that one jumped out at me because it was a great move. The Raiders locked him up first in his draft class. And he's a very good player. And I'm starting to think that if the Raiders get a beast – a right tackle. If they get this Christian Derrissaw or Tevin Jenkins, and those two guys play alongside Colton Miller, then you have Colt Miller on the left and one of these young first-round picks on the right. Colton Miller's been locked up long-term, and then you'd have a new right tackle at a rookie payroll, and he'd be a great player, right? We're, we're assuming he's going to be a great player, not a good player. Then the Raiders will be set for a long time in Las Vegas with their bookend tackles. They'll have two really great tackles, and then you could look to the future of the Raiders because not many people think the Raiders are going to win the Super Bowl this year. A little wake-up call for everybody. Not a lot of people have the Raiders, if you look at the Vegas odds, of them making the playoffs, let alone winning the Super Bowl. I'm encouraged that they could have a really good year. But is this the time to just secure the left and right tackle forever? Or for forever for us, meaning the next three to five years are like dog years. It feels like forever. Or do you think that the Raiders, because their defense was so bad—I mean, bad, not even good, just bad—that how could you have the 17th pick overall in the first round and not take a defender, not take Micah Parsons at linebacker? You, re- you are you really going to have a problem if Nick Kwiatkowski gets benched because Micah Parsons playing middle linebacker for this team? Are you really going to freak out if Nicholas Morrow doesn't play on his one-year deal because Micah Parsons gets drafted out of Penn State and he's the starting linebacker as a rookie? I don't know anybody who's going to complain about that. So where, where, what is the biggest need? And I'm starting to believe, because I want to go defense, 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 I'm starting to believe that that need, the bigger one's right tackle, because they addressed a little bit on the offensive line but not enough to give Derek Carr that protection on the right side. So that's going to be a big topic here in the next two weeks, and we'll get a feeling for what you think is going to happen there. But if you'd like to get in, again, we got a pretty packed show today. Uh, Michael Lee, who's a great NBA insider, is going to join me somewhere here in the bottom of the hour or coming up here. He's really good. We're going to talk to him and get him on the radio because i got to do NBA because NBA is big. And then next hour, uh, some of the Pete Rose interview before we wrap up the show again. Then I'm out the door tomorrow, heading to Oklahoma to see my son in college, Parents Weekend, really excited about that. I'm going to morph into Red Solo Cup Dad for the weekend in Norman, Oklahoma, give my son a big hug, uh, meet his fraternity brothers, and my mom, uh, his, wa- his mom, my wife, is going to have a great time there, and we got a lot planned there. So that's what I'm doing. Love to talk to you, 702-365-9200, as we're brought to you by PTs, 64-plus locations in the Valley, I was at a buddy of mine's house golfing the other day, and I looked up and I was hitting a shot towards the Stratosphere. And I told my buddy, you know, P.T.'s owns that. He said, what? I go, Golden Entertainment owns the Strat. That's how big this company is that fuels my monologue. 64-plus locations, all the taverns, and they own the Strat in Arizona Charlies. So they got you covered for everything as we open up the show. Mark in the Bay Area. Mark on Raider Nation Radio. How are you, Mark? Excuse me. Okay. Mark is there. Bobby? Mark is not there. Jo- Mark, ahead. You're up. What's happening? Yeah. Can you hear me, JT? I got you. We got you back. Go ahead. Oh, right on. Hey,
1: miss you out here in the Bay Area, but I tune into you all the time, man. And you brought back so many memories with talking about Janikowski. I remember being in Tahoe when he got drafted and you know, um, you know. I was thinking last night, JT, I was thinking about Charles Woodson, you know, going into the Hall of Fame this year and how proud Raider Nation we are. You know, 1998, Charles Woodson, Khalil Mack. We need to go defense big time this year. And I, I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm all on the Micah Parsons train. Um, I think we're going to have to trade up. We've got eight draft picks this year. Mm-hmm. and tell me what you think, but I think it's going to take at least a third to jump up to, you know, to that 11 to 13 range. Oh, no,
0: no, 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 no. That might – no, no, I don't agree with that. I, I think it'll cost more than that. That These teams in front of you want a first-round pick, a future first-round pick to move up, or a oh, second. Wow. No, no way. Unless they're trade. Unless it's a 15 trading back to a 17 or a 14. No, I think you got to give up much more than that to move up from 17 anywhere.
1: So you're saying to move up like four or five spots, it's going to cost at least a second-rounder? Yeah, absolutely. I, I would okay. think so. I, well, easily. I, yeah, I would do it. I would do it. I mean, I, I like I said, we got eight picks this year. We need a stud impact guy like, I, you know, I'm not saying we're going to get the next Woodson or the next mm. Khalil Mack, but you never know. We got to take a shot at it because, you know, it's been a long time, like you've talked about, since we've had a linebacker. You know, I think back to the days of, you know, the great defenses of Matt Millen and, you know, the last mm. linebacker that I really liked was Beaker, man. He was just, you know, that guy was, we need that kind of impact linebacker. And I'm, I'm sure hoping that you're right. Well, you know, that, that, uh, mm. you know, we can get a Micah Parsons. And by the way, I just want to say thank you for that Pete Rose interview, man. Growing up as a kid in the 70s, you yeah. know, playing Little League and diving at his head first and second base saying I'm doing the PR slide and, man he was my childhood hero and just he sounds great jt and just yeah want to say thank you for that that was a treat yesterday man and, thank you
0: and we're gonna have we're gonna play most of it back in hour number two because it's just too good and people missed it in the first hour we had a streaming glitch yesterday so that's all fixed now appreciate that yeah pete rose was a special he was anybody who played anybody in their 40s or 50s or 60s that grew up with pete rose remember the impact he had i'm a yankee fan so thurman munson was my hero. He died in a plane crash. And Pete Rose was my favorite baseball player who wasn't a Yankee. And for Pete to sound the way he did at the age of 80 yesterday was quite remarkable. And then the internet almost broke. And I tweeted it out because a bunch of people in Vegas were all upset that he's selling picks or he's putting his names on picks in this town. This town, we have so many degenerate gamblers selling picks. People that aren't right 40% of the time. And they were questioning Pete Rose. Picking baseball games, I, I just laughed to myself out loud. How could Pete put his name next to a company and sell what? He's Pete Rose. He's eighty. He can do whatever the hell he wants as long as he's not breaking the law. Okay, uh, well, people, people who with, with dirty Reebok sneakers and driving nineteen eighty nine Toyota Tercels, selling picks for ten bucks, or questioning Pete Rose after he comes on with me yesterday. Really, you're this town? This town in sports radio has been built on people selling picks in our building, who knew Pete Rose, outside our building. That's all we do in sports radio is we sell picks. Now, I don't gamble. I've never placed a bet, but I put everybody on the air who's selling picks. Why not? You don't have to bet. If someone's smoking a joint or a cigarette or drinking a bottle of bourbon, you don't have to do it. And if someone's selling a pick on a hockey game or someone's selling a pick, you don't have to buy the pick. You have to do anything. You can just listen and get entertained by it. So I was excited that Pete Rose came on to break that news with us yesterday. You'll hear that next hour. Jordan in Jersey, the leadoff hitter. Hello, Jordan. Go ahead.
2: Thanks, JT, for taking the call. Do you think Gus Bradley can make the Raiders a top 10 defense in the future? I would hope so.
0: Yeah, I mean, Jordan, look, that's the goal here. I would. Thanks for the call. I would think that. Gus Bradley was brought in this is a top 10 offense with Greg Olson Johnny Morton uh, John Gruden and the whole offensive staff this is a top 10 offense it's nowhere near a top 10 defense and how is Gus Bradley going to do this well he's going to have to be able to do this with a guy that came in who I told you Yannick Ngakwe he's going to have to hope that Max Crosby continues to improve he's got to develop Cleveland Farrell into a elite potential pro bowl player He's got to get something out of David Irving, uh, Quentin Jefferson, Kendall Vickers, Beasley, Arden Key, who's ever here. Then he's got to go from the back up, back down. He's got to get John Abram and uh, clearly Carl Joseph on the same page with these cornerbacks. Trayvon Mullen, Damon Arnett, Isaiah Johnson, Amik Robertson. I don't love this cornerback group at all. Never have. Nevin Lawson, Isaiah Johnson, Nixon. I don't think this is a good secondary. I don't think it's good at all. And I believe that the high picks such as Trayvon Mullen, Damon Arnett, will get better under Gus Bradley. And that's really the bonus with Gus coming in. Get on the bus with Gus. LaMarcus Aldridge spins baseline, fires. That shot's good for LaMarcus Aldridge. 11-15 for the field. 22 for Aldridge. Timeout Mike D'Antoni. Spurs 69, Rockets 43. Well, LaMarcus Aldridge and the announcement of his retirement today due to a medical issue. And we got to talk about it. It's a big story, and I don't get a chance to talk to my next guest often. He's one of the best premier NBA insiders from the Washington Post, formerly a Yahoo, Michael Lee, kind enough to join us. Michael, great to talk to you again. You just heard the soundbite of LaMarcus Aldridge. Put his career into perspective because I thought he was a hell of a player.
2: He absolutely was. He was just somebody who wasn't recognized because of proximity and uh, also position. You know, uh, the game changed while he was in, uh, you know, during his era. You know, we started to embrace a three point shot, and we lost track of the mid range jumper in, post, in the post game and all the things that skilled big men were asked to be before they were just told to be spot up shooters to spread the floor. Um, he was a guy that, that just carried Portland through some really dark years. I mean, it's funny because, you know, Brandon Roy got all the hype when he was there, Greg Oden was supposed to be the guy to be the savior. But LaMarcus was a steady guy through that period. And then when Damian Lillard came, he became the guy. And throughout that time, a lot of people didn't really appreciate that the guy who stabilized the whole thing that whole time was LaMarcus Aldridge. And I think in some of his frustration, he wanted to get go somewhere where he could be recognized and noticed. He, went, he goes to San Antonio, and all of a yeah. sudden he gets there. They get to the conference finals in 2017. That first game, Kawhi Leonard gets hurt, and he never gets a chance to go back to the conference finals. So no one really got to see LaMarcus Aldridge at his best playing on a, a stage that was most important. And I feel like this was his one chance now. He's on the Brooklyn Nets that team that's a title contender. And all of a sudden now he has a heart ailment that's going to end his career. So uh, he's just kind of bad timing, bad location, but a, great, a truly great player, a guy who will be remembered fondly, especially in Portland. Because I think looking back, people realize just what he meant to that organization. And and making it allowing it to be relevant at a time when people didn't think it would be.
0: That's a great synopsis of his run, and you're right about that. I wasn't, I was pretty confused. I got a lot of contacts in San Antonio from my years on the radio down there, and I just didn't get what was happening because when San Antonio let him go, they were a playoff team. I think they were a six or seven seed, and I'm saying even if you want to buy him out, you don't like his contract, you think he's not a perfect fit. He's LaMarcus Aldridge. If you want to be in the playoffs and maybe win a round, and we'll get to Denver. Denver loses Jamal Murray, so San Antonio, you know, you could have a matchup in the first round and with Aldridge and Patty Mills and a bunch of good players maybe win. What did you hear about the exit with Pop and sending him to Brooklyn even though he's retiring now? What happened in San Antonio? I didn't get a, real, I didn't get a lot of clarity on that.
2: Well, I think, I mean, one, he their, their lineups with him on the floor weren't very good. Um, mm. He was a liability defensively. Um, he wasn't as quick and mobile as they needed him to be. Uh, whenever they put their younger bigs in there, they were more effective and more efficient. Um, it just was a bad run for him. He's at the tail end of his career, he's 35 years old, so he just didn't have the legs that they needed from that position. Um, he wasn't a defensive presence, and he wasn't a guy. He, he was able to step out and shoot threes, but not at a consistent mark that they needed him to be, so – it was just a bad fit, and also at this stage in his career, just making the playoffs, what is that going to do for him? He wanted to go somewhere where he had a chance to win a title. That's why he went, that's why he went to Brooklyn. So they just worked it out to where he probably knew he was near the end of his career no matter what, um, and he wasn't going to win one in San Antonio. So they just kind of mutually agreed that we're not really having a lot of success with you on the floor, and you want to go somewhere where you can win somewhere, so let's just find a way to get you to the place where you want to be. They tried to trade him, nobody wanted him, and then he wound up signing with Brooklyn.
0: Mr. Michael Lee joins us, great NBA insider. All right, so I don't know how this is going to go, but you've known me a long time. No one went nuts more than I did on this Kyrie, going AWOL for the seven games, only fine for two, not going on the West Coast trip. Then what happened in Minneapolis, which I know you've been covering that story, he wasn't going to play the first game, it got rescheduled, didn't play it again. Then he plays last night, he's not on the court the final eight minutes in this just furious comeback, I am just really bothered by the Nets. And I'm an opinion guy. I'm not a journalist. I'm just really bothered by this team and how Steve Nash hasn't controlled Kyrie or how great journalists and insiders like yourself haven't been able to crack the code on what's wrong with him and how he gets the special treatment to come and go as he pleases.
2: He's a different cat, uh, no doubt. And he's definitely... um his journey has been there for us to kind of, you know, break down and disseminate and discuss for the last decade. And, um, and I think that, you know, that's the one thing that we forget with these guys, you know, he came into the league as a 19 year old and we've sort of seen him grow up before our eyes. And I think if we all were 19 and went from 19 to 29 and had, were under a fishbowl during that whole period and people saw our growth and the changes that we went through through that period, they probably would have similar reactions because like what's wrong with this guy? What what's going on with him? Um, you know, and I think that's sort of what was happening with Kyrie. Um he's had a really a unique experience in the NBA, you know, of being a superstar and kind of having that lifestyle and then also playing with LeBron, winning the championship. Just he's had a really incredible career. But I think that there's also an emptiness if you don't get fulfillment in that. And then you have to go through this period of discovery i think is what he's going through and right now everyone can kind of see it and question it and wonder what's wrong with him i just think he's just growing up before our eyes um and i think that's part of what's happening as it relates to him not playing or wanting to play whenever he wants to play uh that's that that can be a frustrating thing Mm -hmm. um you know there are times when i'm like why isn't he playing right now and i've heard that at some sometimes the reasons, the personal reasons that he's not playing are legit um and then, of course, there's times time when he's partying with his sister, which is different. <laughs> um, yeah. So he's just a unique character. He's a fascinating player. Um, he's somebody that I think that yeah. he's so magical. He's, he's an artist uh, when he's out there on the court. You know, the things he can able to, he's able to do with a basketball, they separate him from everybody else. And we want to see more of that. But I think that as you can think about just all the truly great artists and all the truly great performers, they're quirky. And there's, they're a little bit off. And – Sometimes you have to give him special treatment because that's what makes him special. And I think that's the situation with Kyrie. He's just a unique artist uh, when it comes to basketball, and he's going to be weird. And you have to deal with that. And you live with it because you know that when he's on the floor and he does something, he's truly special.
0: Michael Lee joins us. I'll tell you this, Michael, a lot of what you said makes a lot of sense, but artists like Rembrandt and Matisse, when they didn't show up for work, they didn't get three to 400000 a day to take the day off. And that's the only thing that bothers me on this is the enormity of how much he makes salary-wise when he just doesn't play. I mean, that number is insane to me, and I think this is a copycat yes. league. We're seeing the copycat league in load management and all that, so – you know, he's a crazy cat. He's a little bit off. And, look, mental mental health is a really big issue, especially during a pandemic, with all players. And I'm sure he's not the only player in this league. I think you'd admit with me, he's not the only player in the league that has issues that are personal. But he seems to be the one that misses the most games on a great team that's trying to build chemistry.
2: Yeah, this, this is such a unique year. And the last two seasons have been so weird when you consider playing basketball during the pandemic um with no fans in the arena or a limited number mm-hmm. of fans in the arena it's a totally different experience and this year has just been a really weird year uh for any franchise any team to really get com- camaraderie or con- continuity um you got guys in and out from injuries you got guys in and out from covid protocols
1: mm-hmm. it's
2: just and it's hard to really watch the, this year like i can't think of a more irrelevant regular season because we haven't really seen the best go against the best i mean the nets their, their top three guys have only played seven games together. Some of that a lot of this due to injury um, and some you know other things. but I think that for the most part, like LeBron's hurt this year. Like when does that ever happen? You know um, right. uh, the, the Lakers have been without Anthony Davis for pretty much half the year. You go down the list and there's so many teams that are without their best players. there's so many seasons that have been interrupted through things that we're just not normally dealing with that I think it's hard to really judge what's going on. Um, I think before the last two years, before COVID, uh, Kyrie was pretty much pre-played unless he was really hurt. Um, mm-hmm. But this year, and, and uh, just with COVID and just the pandemic, I just feel like it's really hard for us to get too caught up in why guys aren't playing because really nobody's playing the way we expect them to. Uh, you just hope that they'll be there in the postseason. Um because, again, this is the first time I can remember that the regular season just carries so little – it just doesn't carry a lot of weight.
0: Yeah. Last question from Michael Lee. That That's very well thought out. You know how much I respect your opinion. Would you agree – I feel like we're in court. Would you agree that with that <laughs> philosophy of the season not meaning as much – more fans aren't interested. I, I'm on the front lines. I'm yeah. I, With two radio I'm shows, I'm taking calls from fans who are like, I'm done with the NBA. And I go, no, you're not. You can't be done with the NBA because NBA players are talking about social injustice and there's young black men and women who are getting killed. Police altercations, whatever it is. There's a lot of politics, right? China, LeBron James, Daryl Morey. You can't be out of the sport because you have a difficult time with the politics. These are young men who have the right to speak their mind. But I'm talking to people who are like, I'm out. I don't like the NBA more. It's too much of this or that. I'm just concerned that if you add all this together, Michael, and then you start throwing in players like Kyrie Irving and guys missing games and, hey, man, the regular season doesn't mean as much as it used to, which you said, and you're completely right. It doesn't mean as much as Magic, Bird, Jordan, and Kobe. I don't know what – what do you think Adam Silver thinks of that? He's got to be a little bit concerned.
2: Yeah, I think he's definitely concerned because I think the only number he cares about are ratings, you know, because mm-hmm. this whole season and even last season it was so strictly money-driven – I mean, this is just to make sure that the the TV partners are still on board. You know, I don't know if they necessarily made a lot of these decisions on the quality of the product. I think they they knew that there would be a lot at uh, at stake. You know, a lot of risk. You know, in terms of you know guys getting getting COVID or just dealing with the protocols and you know shutting down players for several days if they're you know with contact tracing. And it's just a lot that has made these last two years really hard to judge. And then when you add the injury aspect, um, but there are so many teams, so many franchises that just seem to be struggling with it. Like Miami, the Miami Heat was in the finals last year, but then this year they did, COVID hit them pretty hard and they're just now starting to find their groove. I just think it's just kind of a rare sort of situation. Um, I think that, you know, uh, for me, and I'm somebody who loves the NBA, I've had a hard time, you know, really being getting behind the regular season um there are some great stories like if you're a knicks fan i think that this is a season yeah. that you're probably excited about because you've yes. been waiting for a long time to have a competitive team on the floor uh if you're a charlotte hornets fan kind of the same way atlanta hawks fan um there have been some fun exciting stories um the development of Nikola Jokic um being a front runner for mvp if you're a sixers fan you get to see joel Embiid really uh step into being that dominant big man that everyone you know kind of foresaw him becoming um so there are some fun stories. Um, I think that there also are situations that have occurred this year that are out of anyone's control. And I think that once we sort of get past, you know, COVID, I don't know if we ever will, <laughs> but once things start getting back to a little bit of normalcy and we start having a normal schedule, a normal 82-game schedule, where games aren't crammed and rammed onto each other, you know, that's another factor this year, too. you got t- teams playing three games of four nights, five games of seven nights. There's so many multiple back to backs, that's a grind on these guys. It's a grind on their bodies. It's a grind on them mentally, um, because you're trying to just pack in so much in a tight schedule. Mm-hmm. So you're gonna have to, you're gonna bike you're gonna uh, you know, hurt in some some areas, you know, and I think that's what Alan Silver figured. But if we go through this terrible kind of regular season where there've been massive blowout games and you know a lot, a lot of lot things that just make you say, What's going on? If the postseason turned out to be entertaining LeBron and AD are healthy and KD is healthy. When we get to see the best of the best kind of go at it, when it really matters, it'll it'll all be forgotten. But uh, unfortunately, it's hard to catch a rhythm when you have never found one um, and you never had one. Um, So I think that's sort of where we are. We just got to hope that the postseason turns out to make all this, this really worthwhile.
0: Well, your son was great for the 12 minutes. You know how important it is I get you on the show all the time. He was fantastic. For all of us, my sons are 19 and 17. I'm getting on a plane tomorrow. This is what you have to look forward to in life. My son's a sophomore at Oklahoma. I'm getting on a plane tomorrow morning. We're flying out there. Parents weekend with my wife and my youngest son. I'll be drinking beer in the backyard of his fraternity house. You'll be doing that somewhere oh, wow. down the road, 18 or 19 years from now. Thanks for doing this, Michael. Good to catch up with you again.
2: Hey, always, man. It's good to catch up.
0: Thanks, Michael. Mr. Michael Lee is how you follow him on Twitter. So we had that book earlier this week. He just had a baby, so you heard his son in the background, and he's excited. He's a new dad and a great NBA insider. And we disagreed. I disagree with his opinion on Kyrie Irving. He believes because he cover. He's a top ten, top ten NBA insider. He has Yahoo, Washington Post. He he knows the NBA. But I think he's a little bit light on Kyrie. You know, everybody's going through difficult times. If Kyrie Irving has a mental health issue, which is fair, we all go through everything, it's got to be known because of gambling. You, you, can't, you can't bet on a season win total for the Brooklyn Nets and Kyrie doesn't play. You can't bet on a game or wonder if he's going to play and then look at the total and he doesn't play. It's not fair. This is not the way the league is run. And just because Kyrie is a cool cat, and he's a little bit different dude, you can't miss games when you make $400,000 a game. He makes $400,000 a game. And last night, the Nets are getting blown out. They're down 19 against Philadelphia. It's a really big game. The Nets put in the subs. The subs come all the way back and cut it to four. And Kyrie's sitting on the bench. I couldn't believe it, and Steve Nash said, well, he wanted to reward the guys who were a part of the comeback. As I said all week, and we'll get to your phone calls coming up, I'll be real quick, 702-365-9200. Here's what we all have in common, all of us on Raider Nation Radio, brought to you by Sam and Salmonash, SalmonashLaw.com, because you deserve what's right. Here's what we all have in common. No matter who our teams are, no matter who we root for, we expect maximum effort, Right. Everybody's got to play hard if they're professionals and they're getting paid. I see less and less of that in sports Not from everybody not the majority, but a few guys and stars continue to give us less
2: That goes to Part of the reason why I I want to come back because I know this team is built to win and and ready to win and and take that next step for a championship. So I wanted to come be a part of it. Um, You know, obviously, you guys know Derek Carr starts with him. He's he's the leader of this team, and I think we all believe in him. I think the coaches believe with him. You know, Josh Jacobs speaks for himself. Darren Waller, um, Colton, and all those guys, man, and. And on the defensive side, man, you know, Max and Cleveland and all those guys, man, they improved a lot since their rookie year when I was here. And Jonathan Abram, um, you know, we played one game together, his rookie year we went down, unfortunately, man. So I'm looking forward to going back out there and competing with him and, um, you know, helping each push each other to be, be our best self, man. So um, I'm excited to play with all those guys.
0: Carl Joseph said all the right things, and he should. He wants to be a Raider. He had a good year with Cleveland, a better year with Cleveland than he ever played, I thought, with the Raiders. Is that fair? I think the reason he's back is Gus Bradley and Gruden believe that he improved. He's another year older and still young. He played better in Cleveland. So that's why he's coming back. And he's coming back cheaper, and they're able to get him, and he's going to fight for a position. But would I be be shocked if Carl Joseph and John Abram weren't starting game one? No. I'd be concerned if they were starting game one. I would be. And I think that's what's going to happen, and there's going to be a rotation back there, Richard Sherman available, whoever it is. I'm still concerned about the back end, and I don't think a rookie in the second, third, or fourth round is going to make me feel more secure when the season starts. This is all about Gus Bradley and his new coaches getting these players back back up to speed. They've got to be better players under new coaching. Isn't really that's what we're being told? The guys who are coming back in the secondary – are guys that have to get better, and the only way they're getting better is in the weight room and coaching. That's all I see. I don't see anything else. It's not film study. Jonathan Abram doesn't need to watch movies of him getting beat or Patrick Mahomes. He's got to be in the weight room. He's got to be with coaches who are telling him how to play better, and I'm pretty confident Gus Bradley will do that. Raider T, thanks for waiting. Go ahead. What's happening?
3: Hey, Brick. Hey, i got to tell you, I am getting jacked up for the draft, man. Every year I look forward to it. I feel like that's the year you can make a big difference with your team and put them in the right direction. And as as far as I see, I think there's three different directions we can go in. Mm -hmm. Number one, we can do what you're advocating, trade up, and try and get a guy like uh, Micah Parsons. I'm a big fan of that guy. Um, If they do something like that, I can't be upset. I, I think we need a difference maker, especially in the linebacking core. Number two, you say, Pat, and maybe you get a guy like uh, Trayvon Jenkins to play right tackle, maybe Richie Grant in the second round. I can't be upset if they do something like that Mm -hmm. either. Um, But you said if we trade up for Micah Parsons, uh, we might have to give up a second-round pick. What if we trade down about five spots? Is it possible we we can still get a guy like Trayvon Jenkins going down to the early 20s, -hmm. and then we either pick up a second-rounder or maybe we get a third-rounder
0: so we have Two, two, too risky. Raider one, T, Raider T. too risky. You're asking the Raiders, a non-playoff team, to trade down. I mean, what's going on here? This team's got to make it to the playoffs. The theory of trading down means that you're giving up on a proven player at 17 that can help this team get to the playoffs and risk risk moving back, losing the players that you want, losing those players in the hopes of getting an extra pick, for what? I mean, don't you want a great player at 17 instead of risking losing out on multiple great players who could be there?
3: Well, well, look at the depth in this draft. You've got not only um, uh, Jenkins from Oklahoma State. You've got Derrishaw <clears throat> from Virginia Tech. There's a ton of guys. I feel like this year, more than any other years in recent past, there's a lot of quality But, but wait a second. I'm, not, I'm not
0: arguing that point. If you trade back from 17 to 22 – in your theory, and you lose you lose Derrishaw and Vera Tucker, and they're both off the board right before you, wow. That's a pretty uh-huh. risky move. And then Mayotte's taking the best player available?
3: Then what about if uh, you think all three of those guys, Vera Tucker, Derishaw, and Jenkins, would be gone at that point, given all it, the other uh, quarterbacks
0: yeah, the positions are positions? Yeah, going cl- it would be close. In front of us? It would be close. I mean, no, I think one of them will be there but it might not be the player the Raiders want. And you're bringing up a great point. These are the calls I love. Say the Raiders really want Vera Tucker, and they trade out of 17 to 19 and he's gone. If he's there, that's great. And you're right about that. The teams that are picking before and after the Raiders might not have that need, but it's risky. I I just want to see Mike Mayock, who I trust and I know can do this at a high level. I just want him to get an impact stud And I don't think you get that by moving back. I think you might have to get it by moving up or at a minimum staying there at 17.
3: Yeah. All right. Well, I appreciate it. Either way, I hope they make the right call. Like I said, I'm happy with any of those scenarios if they get the right guys.
0: Yep. Appreciate it. Thank you. That's a great phone call. That's really what I want to do here over the next two weeks and we're going to do on draft night. What we want to do is have the ability to know who the pick's going to be because Kyle Pitts is gone. Devontae Smith is gone, Jamar Chase is gone, Jalen Waddell, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, Mac Jones, Trey Lance are all gone, Patrick Sertain II, gone, possibly Micah Parsons, gone, potentially Quiddy Pay gone out of Michigan. So with all those players who might be gone, I think we're going to do a great job with all the experts that we have, especially next week whittling it down to who the Raiders are going to choose from. I've always said I believe the Raiders are picking 7th, not 17th. The 10 players are locks to be gone. The next 7 players, I don't know who's going to be there. I don't know who's going to be there, but he better be a starter. Because Damon Arnett was drafted in the first round and he's no starter. Okay, he's not. He's a developmental player who's a starter. Okay, but he has to be better. He has to be a lot better. When I talk X's and O's, I'm talking about Remy Martin, team up for excellence. The entire team, Ryan, Tory, all the people that give me the opportunity to talk about Remy Martin. I can't wait till you see the Raiders Tavern and Grill. When you walk into the place, you turn left, and all it is is Remy Martin. The back bar, the private room that overlooks the pool, it's incredible. What a partner to have with Remy Martin. I mean, they are incredible and I'm excited about that. Remy Martin team up for excellence with a Remy Martin cocktail this weekend. I have a feeling going to visit my son at his fraternity house this weekend. I will be, that'd be a good poll question if I did that. What type of beer do you think they're gonna be serving at the fraternity house when I'm there this weekend with my dad red solo cup? How nasty is that beer gonna be? When I went to college, we drank Jenny Cream Ale and Jenny Light. Oh my God. I can't believe how much I put down the pipe of that. What am I going to be, what are they drinking in Oklahoma now? I hope they have a, they don't have a local IPA, I think, with those kegs. But uh, that's what my weekend looks like. Hey, Pete Rose, a lot of the Pete Rose interview next hour. Please don't miss it.